And you might even be here and say, I don't understand all this and Israel and this root and blessing and the lump of dough. Listen, no one thing. God responds to faith. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. And know something else. Unbelief always will be judged. Behold then the kindness and severity of God. To those who believe kindness, but to those who in stubborn unbelief shun Christ, Jew or Gentile alike, there will be judgment. The same Lord is rich toward all, abounding in riches to all who call upon him. He said in chapter 10, Jew or Gentile alike, you call in the name of the Lord and you'll find riches. You believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will find salvation. Welcome to Downtown Bible Class with Pastor Scott Gilchrist. Today we continue in our study of the book of Romans. Pastor Scott brings the final part of the message titled, Do Not Be Arrogant. We invite you to follow along with us now as we get started. You look back at the first coming, and Israel by and large turned away and said, We don't want him. We have no king but Caesar. And God in his sovereignty and providential purposes, he used that for the reconciliation of the world. And Paul asks, "What, what will be the result when Israel turns to their Savior. What will be the blessing? And the Bible basically answers, the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord. Isaiah 11, verse 9. The wolf will lay down with the lamb, verse 6 of that same prophecy. It will be unprecedented blessing. The whole creation is groaning, chapter 8 of Romans says, awaiting that day, the revealing of the sons of God, when Israel, Zechariah says, will look on him whom they have pierced, And they will see, and God will put upon them not a spirit of stupor like we saw here in unbelief, but he will give them a spirit of grace and supplication, and they will cry out to the one that is their Savior. What a blessing that will be on the whole earth, and it will be a wonderful day indeed. And in fact, he uses uh, language, look at verse 15, life from the dead. Uh, The earth is awaiting that day when Israel turns to him. Now he says, verse 16, If the first piece of dough be holy, the lump is also. And if the root be holy, the branches are too. But if some of the branches were broken off, and you, being a wild olive, were grafted in among them and became partaker with them of the rich root of the olive tree, do not be arrogant toward the branches. But if you are arrogant, remember that it is not you who supports the root, but the root supports you. Now, he uses a couple of pictures here, a couple of analogies. The first one, if the first piece of dough be holy, the lump is also, he says. Then he says, if the root is holy, so will be the branch. Now, the first piece of dough be holy, what's he getting at here? Well, I think both analogies are saying the same thing, obviously. And he's saying, look, if God has a righteous remnant, then he will save the nation. Some take it as remnant, others take it, and I think I would lean toward this as the patriarchal blessing and the salvation of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. If God has this righteous 
you know, the first piece of dough is holy, then the whole lump will be. If the root is holy, so will the branch be. And he glances back either to the remnant or to the patriarchs, and either one he's teaching the same thing, and really they are saying the same thing, because God has a people, he has a remnant, and he chose Abraham out, and he chose Paul out, and others in the remnant today, and it's a picture that he's going to finish what he started, and he will accomplish what he promised to Abraham and the patriarchs. Now, if you go back in Israel's history, and I think, uh, turn over to Numbers 15, because we might kind of, it's a little strange to our ears. What's this, you know, what's this lump and of dough and that sort of thing? But uh, Numbers 15, when Moses was bringing the people through the wilderness, verse 17, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the sons of Israel and say to them, when you enter the land where I bring you, Then it shall be that when you eat of the food of the land, you shall lift up an offering to the Lord. Of the first of your dough, you shall lift up as a cake an offering. As the offering of the threshing floor, so you shall lift it up. When you get into the land, what I want you to do is the first food you have, the first crop, I want you to lift it up to the Lord. And it will be like a down payment, so to speak. It will be a picture that everything is his. And so Paul picks up on this and says, listen, if the first piece of dough be holy, then the whole lump will be. And you know, it's uh, instructive to look back uh, at Israel's feasts because, you know, they, they tended to glory in the feasts, as I said, rather than the reality. But there were three great feasts in Israel's calendar year, God-given Three times when every male was to come before the Lord. Passover, the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Uh, this time, the fe- Feast of first fruits, And then at the end of the harvest, uh, the Feast of Booze or Ingathering. And it seems to me that all three were teaching the same basic truth. And it was to be an annual reminder to Israel. And it's great for us to stop and think about it today. Because he brings up this first fruits principle, and that's one of the three. Now, Passover was to teach Israel and to remind Israel that they were the Lord's. He redeemed them out of Egypt with his blood, the blood over the doorpost and the passing over of the angel of death. And he said, you're mine, Israel. And you know, by the same token today, we're our, we're not our own. We've been bought with a price. Uh, You're not your own, the Scripture says to us. Jesus Christ shed His blood for us, and every time we come around the table, we're reminded of that. Then the first fruits. When they first had a little bit of produce, they were to offer it up to the Lord as a picture, not now that they were the Lord's, but that the crop was His. Everything is His. So He says, you're mine, the crops are mine, And this is central, I believe, to healthy Christian living today. It was certainly central to an Israelite's life. Look over at Proverbs 3. Just glance there. I mean, this is very, very familiar text. And, uh, you know, we had uh, our seniors at our graduation. Some of them picked, uh, well, they all picked their favorite text in the Scripture, and some picked this text, and it's actually the the motto for our school, and it is such a familiar and tremendous statement of the Christian life. Proverbs 3, verse 5, trust in the Lord with all your heart. 
Don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he'll make your paths straight. Don't be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your body and refreshment to your bones. Honor the Lord from your wealth and from the first of all your produce. The first fruits, that feast, was to teach something. Trust in the Lord with everything. Don't lean on your own sufficiency. The crop is His. We're dependent on Him for our daily bread. And so they were to take the first fruits and put it at His disposal as a picture that the whole crop was His. And I'll tell you today, trust in the Lord. Don't lean on your own understanding. Fear the Lord. Turn away from evil. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the very first of your produce. So that, verse 10, your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. You know, one reason many Christians struggle in life is because they fail to put things at His disposal. Financially even. Oh, let me encourage you to honor the Lord with the first fruits. Make Him the top priority of your life and watch what God will do. You see, it's all His anyway. And we're to devote ourselves to Him. That was the first fruits. And then the Feast of Booze, the final ingathering. At the end of the harvest, they were to come in celebration in the Feast of Booths. You remember they were to build these little booths and they were actually a reminder that they used to have to live out in the wilderness and the land of bounty and plenty was from God, but they used to live out in the wilderness. And as I said, Zechariah speaks of the fulfillment of this. All these things were not an end in themselves. They were all to look ahead to Christ and what He's done for us. And so in Zechariah, we're told in chapter 12 that when they look on Him whom they have pierced, they will see who He really is, and there will be a national turning to Him and listen to the words of Zechariah with think of these feasts and have them in your mind. Uh, the Lord will be king over all the earth. In that day, the Lord will be the only one and His name the only one, and the people will live in it and there will be no more curse. For Jerusalem will dwell in security. Then it will come about that any who are left of all the nations that went against Israel will go up from year to year to worship the King, the Lord of hosts, and to celebrate the Feast of Booths. And in that day, listen to how he closes his whole prophecy. In that day, there will be inscribed on the bells of the horses, Holy to the Lord. And the cooking pots in the Lord's house will be like the bowls before the altar. There won't be just certain utensils that will be sacred to the Lord, those before the altar, even the cooking pots in the Lord's house. In fact, he says, the next verse, every cooking pot in Jerusalem and in Judah will be holy to the Lord of hosts. That final feast, the Feast of Booths, in Israel's annual three feasts, was to teach not only that Israel was the Lord's, not only that the crop was the Lord's, like the first fruits, but finally at harvest time, the ingathering, everything is the Lord's. The earth is the Lord's and all it contains, the psalmist says, Psalm 24, when he's thinking about that time when the king returns. And Paul brings all this to mind when he says, Listen, if the first piece of dough be holy, the whole lump is. 
And he says, think about it. And so it's good for us to think about it. Now look at Romans 11 and watch how he develops this. He moves from that analogy, verse 16, to saying, if the root be holy, the branches are too. He's saying the same thing. Just as, just as God saved the root, Abraham and the patriarchs, and gave the promise of salvation, and as he had a remnant in Paul's day, and as he does today, so he will save the whole branch. God's purpose of salvation for the whole branch of the nation Israel will be accomplished. Yes, today, Israel is by and large in unbelief. And yes, today, Gentile nations are where the gospel is bearing fruit. But, look at verse 17. If some of the branches were broken off, and you being a wild olive were grafted in among them and became partaker with them of the rich root of the olive tree, do not be arrogant toward the branches. But if you are arrogant, remember that it is not you who supports the root, but the root supports you. Oh, what a warning to Gentiles today, to, to most of us, and to the Gentile world at large. Listen, yes, God has set aside Israel, but He's not done with Israel. And we're not the ones, we Gentile believers, we don't support the covenant of salvation through Abraham. It supports us. And we need to remember this. And he says, do not be arrogant. Uh, tragically, look at verse 19. You will say then, well, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. Quite right. They were broken off for their unbelief, and you stand only by your faith. Do not be conceited, but fear. You see, there's a natural tendency, Jew or Gentile, toward pride. Israel, in proud unbelief, rejected Christ. Gentiles, proudly today, saying, well, Israel was broken off, and we're the people of blessing now. And he says, no, no, you stand only by your faith. And, you know, it's tragic that this has actually happened. You wonder, why did Paul warn this way? Because through the centuries, this is exactly what's happened. And where the gospel has taken root and grown and borne fruit, sadly, there's developed arrogance. And I'm not speaking now about true believers. I'm just talking about the culture that, it, that pervades. And he's speaking in a national way as he speaks here. He's talking about God's purposes with Gentiles and with Israel and Christendom has been a breeding ground for some sort of twisted, perverted arrogance toward Israel and even anti-Semitism and all the evils that have been perpetrated sometimes in the name of some, I, I hate to say it, but in the name of our Lord it's been done. And Jews have been called Christ killers and there's been an arrogance, a Gentile arrogance. And he says, don't be arrogant. And if you are arrogant, remember, it's not you who supports the root, but the root supports you. You will say, well, branches were broken off. Yeah, that's true. And you were grafted in. But uh, don't be conceited. Fear. Notice verse 20. Do not be conceited. And the word there for conceit is a is a complex, I mean, it's a compound word, high-minded. Don't be high-minded, but fear. And you know, high-mindedness, conceit, arrogance, it's always a sign of decline. And uh, he says, rather, fear. The beginning of wisdom is the fear 
of the Lord. For if God, verse 21, did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. Uh, Behold then the kindness and severity of God. To those who fell, severity, but to you, God's kindness. If you continue in his kindness, otherwise you also will be cut off. And they also, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in. For God is able to graft them in again. For if you are cut off from what is by nature a wild olive tree and were grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more shall these who are the natural branches be grafted into their own olive tree? He looks at this root, this rich olive tree, this blessings of God promised through Abraham, and he says, yes, God cut off Israel as they rejected his son. He set them aside. And yes, he has grafted in wild shoots, Gentiles, into the place of blessing. Yes, we have the blessings of salvation, he says. But listen, if God cut off his natural branches, don't be conceited. Don't become arrogant. You stand, verse 20, only by your faith. And he's saying, God is able. Don't think for a minute that God cannot re, you know, regraft, so to speak, branches that are natural branches that were of the real olive tree back into the place of blessing, and he will. And he's going to develop that in a more didactic way, starting at verse 25 and following. But for now, he's just drawing the analogy out, and he says, don't be arrogant. God is going to bring Israel back into a place of blessing. Now, don't misapply this. Don't, uh, don't teach, as sometimes people do, and sometimes sincere Christians read this and begin to fear that it's speaking about individual believers in the sense that, well, God will cut you right off if you don't keep your nose clean, you know? If you don't, and he'll, and your security begins to depend on how you're doing at that moment in your faith walk. And he's not saying that really. He's talking about Gentile arrogance. And he's saying that God isn't done with Israel. If the first piece of dough be holy, the whole lump will be. If the root was holy, so will the branches be. And God isn't going to accomplish his purpose with Israel. And you Gentiles don't start to think that just because you've been blessed with the gospel, that you can become arrogant and conceited. And if you look around the world today, and I'm afraid that we could follow suit as a nation. There are whole nations that once knew much of the blessing of the gospel and were, you know, uh, beautiful places of Christian uh, gospel going out from and sending places and are now the coldest, hardest mission fields themselves. And so he warns against the kind of national conceit that we can see in some of the Western European countries, for instance, where the gospel once burned brightly, and yet where that anti-Jewish sentiment uh, came to some of its worst fruition. And today, some of the hardest places to minister the gospel, some of the places where pride and conceit and arrogance have bred that unbelief that leads to that hardness, are not in the third world countries, but in places where there's churches all around that are little museums or big museums and, and uh, pictures of the deadness and the outward form but no reality. 
So you see all that behind what he's warning about here. But don't take this and apply this to the individual believer's life like he'll cut you off if you're not faithful. Listen, our security depends on his faithfulness, not our faithfulness. And he's not really speaking of individual salvation here. However, don't forget to apply this either. I say don't misapply it, but don't forget to apply it. And let me just underline it once again. Arrogance, pride, conceit, high-mindedness in any realm, always a sign of declension and decline. Uh, Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. He'll exalt you at the proper time. Beware of that kind of pride. And remember, too, that God always answers to faith. And though Romans 9, 10, and 11 are sweeping through history and telling of God's sovereign purposes, have you noticed He always, His his purposes are coincident with man's faith. God in His providential sovereignty, He does not work apart from faith. So verse 20, He says, yes, they were broken off. Why? For their unbelief. And you stand only by your faith. God works through faith. And you might even be here and say, I don't understand all this and Israel and this root and blessing and the lump of dough. Listen, no one thing. God responds to faith. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. And know something else. Unbelief always will be judged. Behold then the kindness and severity of God. To those who believe, kindness. But to those who in stubborn unbelief shun Christ, Jew or Gentile alike, there will be judgment. The same Lord is rich toward all, abounding in riches to all who call upon Him. He said in chapter 10, Jew or Gentile alike, you call in the name of the Lord and you'll find riches. You believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will find salvation. The table that we come around today, we will celebrate irrespective of our ethnic background. There is neither Jew nor Gentile in Christ. We come as sinners who've been saved. But you spurn Christ. You turn away from God's gracious provision. And there's nothing left but judgment. The path of blessing. And I'll close with this. The path of blessing is a path of humility. Not arrogance, not pride, but a broken, contrite heart. A humility. And it leads to a heart of praise and thanksgiving. In fact, this whole chapter focuses and leads toward what? We'll look at verse 33. We're not there yet, but let's just let it close our hearts. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments and unfathomable His ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who became His counselor or who has first given to Him that it might be paid back to Him again for from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. To Him be the glory forever. Amen. The whole chapter points toward, and you know, all of history will point toward God is the giver of all salvation. He has shut up all men under sin that he might show mercy to all, verse 32 says. And then he bursts into praise. And we instinctively love to praise him and worship him because he sent his son to be our savior. 
You've been listening to Downtown Bible Class with Pastor Scott Gilchrist. Please stay with us. Pastor Scott will return in just a moment with a preview of our next broadcast. Today's program was titled, Do Not Be Arrogant, a message from our series in the Book of Romans. If you missed a portion of the message heard on the program today or you'd like to share it with a friend, head on over to downtownbible.org. A free copy of today's entire message is available there for you to stream or download at your convenience. We're thrilled to announce the publication of a new book written by Pastor Scott Gilchrist. It's called A Brief Exposition of Romans. It's a 266-page chapter-by-chapter commentary on Romans that we're sure will enhance your understanding of this critical book in the New Testament. The book is available online at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and most other online booksellers. But during our study of Romans, we'd like to send you a copy as a thank you for a gift of any amount to the ministry of Downtown Bible. You can find us online at downtownbible.org or by mail at P.O. Box 19191, Portland, Oregon, 97280. We'd love to put this valuable resource in your hands. Downtown Bible only remains on the air through the generous contributions of listeners like you. We'd like to ask you to prayerfully consider partnering with us on a regular basis to help us meet our day-to-day expenses. Now, before we end our time today, let's go to Pastor Scott for a preview of our next broadcast. His love for us isn't contingent on us being lovely. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end, it says in John. And he says, Israel, I've loved you. Oh, you've sinned. You've turned away from me, but I'm not done with you. And so this chapter outlines that he's going to claim them back. Verse 13, he says, Then the virgin shall rejoice in the dance and the young men and the old together, for I will turn their mourning into joy and will comfort them and give them joy for their sorrow. And you think of all the mourning that's happened to Israel through the centuries and all the hardship the nation has endured in their rebellion and unbelief. When God pulls them back, He says, I'm going to turn their mourning into joy. Join us again next time as we continue our series through the book of Romans. Pastor Scott brings the message titled, God's Irrevocable Purpose for Israel. Until then, may the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you.